Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. First thing I want to do is give you a moment to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that's not where we've been. (laughs) So go ahead and uh, it's not far from John, Um, but this morning, now I was thinking about uh, possibly doing a a sermon about uh, fathers since it's Father's Day, Um, but then I remembered that I completely dropped the ball on Mother's Day, and so... So next, and Roger, maybe you can remind me next year that we are going to have a Mother's Day and Father's Day sermon, <clears throat> but honestly, uh, this sermon today, it could be a Father's Day sermon in, in, by looking at God as a father, the way he treats um, his son in this passage. And basically, we're going through this today because it's, it's part two of the sermon from last week. And so I was actually, this was going to be a point I was going to make last week, but then it was going to be a two-hour sermon. And so I was like, you know, no, we'll we'll just, we'll we'll make it two parts, and then we'll go um, through this passage uh, specifically by itself. And so last week we looked about God's glory and the good and the bad and the ugly of our life. And then this week we're going to go to Paul, another voice, and we're going to look you know, at God's grace and pain and weakness in life. So these things that don't seem like they would correlate, and we're going to look at how when we serve God, they do absolutely, they correlate and they work together. Now, just like last week, we're going to start by looking at a sports hero, right? Sports hero, um, but from a different perspective, maybe, maybe not a good example like last week. And so to do this, we're going to go back to the summer of 1998, there was a baseball player by the name of Mark McGuire, right? And the whole country is excited about Mark McGuire because he's chasing the all-time home run record set by Roger Maris, which used to be 61 home runs. I'm sorry, it was back in 1961 that he set that record. And so all summer long, people across the country, we're excited, we're cheering. Everybody's glued to their TV, no matter where you go, I mean, anywhere you went, the baseball game, so, so weird, the baseball game was always on TV. Now, one thing that he did, McGuire did, is as soon as he'd hit a home run, and he knew it, and we knew it, is he would hold his bat out. Like, he would just hold it out, and so that, like, he could point, point to us to, to just watch how far that ball is going. So he could admire it, we can admire it, and he's just going to point it out. And that was his signature boast. Well, come September 8th, the end, end of summer, um, that moment finally came where McGuire would, would break that home run record. I remember being in a restaurant, um, not even really paying attention to the game, but I knew it because I heard like, that somebody hit the ball and this restaurant just explodes. Everybody's high-fiving each other. We don't know each other, but we just witnessed history, like history, and we are just so excited to be a part of it. And so it was very loud and exciting. But then... I don't know, half hour, hour later, we're done, we're getting desserts with our meal, and then the press conference comes on, and everybody's quiet. What is Mark McGuire going to say? 
the legend, right? The hero, the record breaker. What is he going to say about all of this? Well, he didn't disappoint. He says one of the greatest quotes I've ever heard, or not great, memorable, one of the most memorable quotes I've ever heard. He said, I am in awe of myself. And you could look it up. You could, you could, there's video of this. I am in awe of myself. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, every, everybody in the restaurant like groaned. Like it was so cringe. It was just, we felt so, so I don't know if he felt bad for him. It was, it was awkward. It was horrible. It was unhumble. You know, and the reality is like he broke this record with plenty of time to spare. He knew he was going to break it. He could have wrote something great. He could have paid. This guy's a hundreds of millions of dollars. He could have paid somebody to say anything other than I'm in awe of myself. But he boasted in his strength, which we'll look at later because it turns out it wasn't even his strength. And I know some of you know what I'm talking about. So why do I share this story? Well, because we're talking about a guy this morning who has all the stats as well, all-star of the Christian faith, of the early church. I mean, the guy who could truly boast. And in fact, he does boast, right? We're talking about a guy named Paul. And so our text today is going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Let me pray for us before we get started. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we are in awe of you. We uh, celebrate you, Lord, um, especially, Lord, um, Father's Day, Lord. We're so humbled by your glory, and we're in awe of you, Lord. And I ask that you would open our hearts for all of us uh, to understand what you are like as a father um, by the way you deal with us in, in our good days and on our bad days and no matter what we're going through, Lord. And so I just ask that you would be honored, Lord, as we lift your name on high this morning. Amen. So I want to set the scene for us, because um, we haven't been in 2 Corinthians. Where's Paul at right now? Paul's frustrated. I mean, you could actually say he's pretty angry. He is heartbroken. Like, he's just in an absolute bad place. Because the church of Corinth, which, oh, my, by the way, he founded, right? This is the church Paul founded on his second missionary journey. Oh, man, they're in a horrible state. If you've read through Corinthians, you know this. It is just a long list of what not to do, right? And so this church is being deceived by um, these agents of Satan, these false apostles, false apostles who are boasting. They are boasting. And they are saying, like, they've had these super incredible spiritual experiences. They just go around talking about how super spiritual they are. They're in awe of themselves. They just, they are so spiritual, it's ridiculous, and they're letting everybody know it. And so they, they're leading the church astray. Not only are they leading the church astray, they're now trying to convince everybody that Paul, not only is he not a super apostle, he's not even an apostle. And so you can imagine that Paul, who founded this church, is very upset. And so Paul basically, um, well, Paul's the one that calls them, these agents of Satan, super apostles. And of course, he's mocking them. He's not saying these are super apostles. He's jokingly saying the super apostles. 
And so in verse 1, where we begin here, um, Paul is responding to this boast by the super apostles, and Paul is, is going to have his, his kind of boast in himself. And so it says in, in uh, 12.1, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. And so Paul here does not have to defend himself and says, before he starts, hey, just so you know, this is a waste of time that I even have to do this. It's a complete waste of time. And this leads to kind of an awkward moment in this passage, in these verses, because um, I would say it's kind of like pretending that you're talking about somebody else when you're talking to somebody. And so you might say, oh, I'm asking for a friend, right? It's kind of funny. I'm asking for a friend, but, but they know that it's you. And so that, that's what Paul's doing here in verses 2 through 6. And so he's talking about himself, but listen to this. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or spirit, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows, and he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weakness, though if I wished to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. And so Paul has every right to completely just say, I'm kind of a big deal. Right? I'm kind of a big deal as well, if that's, if that's what we're talking about here. And so they want him to pull out his credentials. That's, that's exactly what this church wants. Paul convince us that you're an apostle, even though you planted this church. And he doesn't pull out his credentials. And so they want to hear about his experience. And Paul does have this experience, but Paul doesn't want to boast in that. He doesn't want to boast in that so much, he literally talks about it in the third person. Yeah, I know a guy who had this incredible, real experience, but he is not going to boast on his own behalf like they do. He's not going to do it. So why doesn't he do it? Because he can. He can actually, out of everybody, he's the one who can. Why doesn't he do it? In verses in seven, 7 through 9, we read, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. So it sounds like somebody also doesn't want Paul uh, boasting or being in awe of himself. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But to me, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. And so maybe this morning you're like me and you read this passage and, you, and you're going to ask yourself a very important question about this. And that question is, what? What is happening here? And so, you know, Paul's talking in the third person about the third heaven. Um, Satan is harassing Paul, and God's like, yeah, that's exactly what I want. And so, uh, what's going on with this thorn? Like, what's up with this messenger exactly? And so, when Paul says thorn in the flesh, what is he talking about? 
Now I remember being in seminary and a professor asking, singling me out. Uh, maybe I looked terrified because I, I don't want to answer this question. And so he said, you know, James, what is the thorn in Paul's flesh? And I just kind of shrugged, just like, and squeak. I don't know. You know, I don't know this. That's why I'm in seminary, right? And so he's like, that's right. You don't know. None of us know. And so that, that is correct. We, we don't know. And so uh, many theologians, great theologians, preachers, uh, scholars have some opinions on this. What is this thorn? Is it a demonic attack? Is it a physical ailment? Is he just sick? It, does he have like nagging pain? Is it because he's been beaten to a pulp for, for at this point, probably about 15, 20 years? Is it because he's, we know he's going blind, as he mentions in Scripture? Is he talking about a person? You know, it, or multiple people? What is going on here? And so what I can tell you is, if you want to ask me after church what I think it is, or in community group, or text me, or something like that, go ahead, ask me. I have, I have a pretty solid theory, I believe, about this, but I'm not going to tell you this morning. And the reason I'm not going to tell you is because that is not the point of this passage. Paul could have clearly just said what it was. So which means, if Paul is being vague, he's like, reframe the way you're thinking about this. The point isn't what I'm going through. The point is what you're going to go through. And so what do those, the nature of the thorns look like in your own life? Now, before we discuss that, what, what the thorn is, I, I want to briefly discuss what the thorn isn't. Because, I'm going to be honest with you, thorn in the flesh, just like in the Gospels, the expression, taking up your cross. Thorn in the flesh, taking up your cross, are abused by Christians. Absolutely abused and forced into every little discomfort situation that we go through. We use it too quickly and too lightly to describe what we're going through in our lives. A thorn in the flesh is not a slight discomfort. It's not having a car with a radio that doesn't work. It's not your latte at Starbucks being 150 degrees when you ask for 160 degrees. It's not a common cold. It's not even a bad cold. It's not a slow internet connection. There's something more pressing here. In fact, the various translations, I went through a bunch of translations of this describing this thorn. Here's the different translations I got. A thorn was given me in the flesh to buffet me. Beat me, give me pain, pound away at me, harass me, and to torment me. This is some heavy, heavy stuff that Paul is going through. And a, and a great starting point for determining what he's going through, we just need to look at verse 10, where after he's talking about weakness, he says, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. And so there's your framework about what the thorn is or could be. And Paul doesn't use these words lightly, right? He's not just throwing words out there. This is a guy in the same book who has mentioned uh, um, his credentials are that he's shipwrecked, beaten, betrayed, and imprisoned, to name a few. Now, mind you, none of those things were Paul's fault. Paul is not shooting himself in the foot, right? All, Paul, Paul is doing a great job, and this is, these are things that outside forces that are coming 
at him. It's not sin or a personal bad decision. In fact, in our own lives, the most obvious connection we could make is, is persecution for our faith. And never thought I'd see where we are in our society, what we're going through. And we actually talked a lot about this during the conference, what it's beginning to look like. And now the fact is, some of us have jobs where we can be persecuted for our faith. Like, it's legit. It's here. Now, now what happens if somebody wants you in June to wear a button with a rainbow on it? All of a sudden, you can reject a button and form, uh, face some form of persecution, whether you know, it's a write-up or maybe it's more passive, like losing hours or shifts or something. And that's a hardship that's not your fault. You're not doing anything wrong. That's an attack from Satan, right? That, that, that is something real that many of us, especially young people, you are going to face more than I did, much more than I did. This, I also believe these are, could be things like the economy affecting us. Well, if we have an, uh, an economy that, that, you know, this system that, that is being run incorrectly and it's being run evilly, and now all of a sudden we are losing wages and we are losing hours and opportunities to work, and now all of a sudden, you know, our families are starving and we're anxious. That's a hardship. That's a hardship that we didn't choose, that has nothing to do with our spiritual life. In fact, there, there are difficulties. Maybe pain here, you know, a lot of people think that, that Paul is talking about physical pain because, I mean, his body's been beaten, right? And he is going blind. So maybe th this is talking about physical pain and sickness. And so, you know, when we face life and death and suffering for ourselves or those around us, that rocks us to our core. That makes us question everything. It makes us question eternity, the meaning of life. How do we offer support? Where is our hope in these situations? So it's very difficult. That is something that is a thorn, that, that, that pokes at you, that, that, that wrestles you to decide what you believe about something. Perhaps like Paul, you are experiencing the reality of difficulty in ministry. Now, I did brag all week long that you guys are not a difficult ministry. <laughs> totally bragged on you guys. But there are situations you will face, and maybe, you, maybe not this morning. Hey, praise God. You don't have a thorn this morning? Praise God. Really, praise God. But it's coming. I promise you, it, it is coming. And yet, just like Paul, you're going to be forced to pray again and again and again. Like it says, Paul prayed three times. God, like, okay, I get it. Get rid of this thing. And God is going to say no. And so now that we have an idea of what the thorn is, I want to look at three specific parts of the thorn. And so those, those parts are going to be the origin of the thorn, the message of the thorn, and the purpose of the thorn. So let's look at the origin of the thorn. Where did this thorn come from? Well, in verse 7 it says, A thorn was given me, in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Okay, kind of sounds like God gave it, kind of sounds like Satan gave it. So there's two parts to determining the origin of this thorn. And the first is that the purpose reveals the origin. I truly believe that. And we'll talk more about purpose in a few minutes. But since we know the purpose was godly so that he doesn't become conceited, well, then the origin has to be God because it, it, it's for godliness. And so, but also it says here that this, that clearly this is a messenger of Satan, 
right? A messenger of Satan, which means God is using Satan's evil to help Paul. Is that a scary thought? Yes. But I think we could find comfort in this. Even in our own lives, as we look around and we see evil, and we get anxious and worried about it, yet we know, like, we don't have to succumb to that. We can take comfort in that that's not happening against God's plan for us. Just as we see in the story of Job, Satan isn't running around free. He needs to ask permission to operate. And so, in a sense, the origin is God, but also it's clearly Satan here. But God is the one in control. And now what I don't want to communicate here is this is not a struggle between good and evil. This is not a struggle between God and Satan, not, not whatsoever. It's just like we've been reading in John. Satan is doing all these things thinking that he's winning, right, leading up to the cross. He gets God hung on a cross, and he thinks he's won, but yet we know all the glory still goes to God. You know, God gets the glory by making Satan play himself, as we looked at a few years ago. And so this is a case of an attack by Satan that God is allowing to make Paul depend more on God. Now, R.C. Sproul, one of my favorite theologians, he described this dynamic like this. God is much greater than we are, so he is able to do things that we could never do, such as being sovereign over the devil without ever being guilty of the devil's evil. Um, In the book God's Devil by Erwin uh, Lutzer, It says, we should never give thanks to God for Satan, but we can give thanks for the way God uses evil to accomplish his purposes. We can give thanks for our own struggles and temptations and say, even in this, God is good and his will is being done. Satan is a creature. Satan is a created creature. So he is absolutely subject to God. In in fact, the Puritans had the term they called... um, Satan, um, God's devil. They called him God's devil because he must operate under God. This isn't an equal-sided war. Satan operates so far beneath God. And it's difficult and crazy to think about, but I also hope that, that you also find that crazy comforting. I know I do. When it seems like evil is winning, that, that is not what's happening at all. And so the origin of the thorn is the harassment of Satan by the decree of God. With that in mind, I want to look at the message of the thorn. Because Paul said, this is a messenger. This isn't just like something that's happening. There's a message being communicated here. That's what this is about. And so coming from Satan, the message to Paul is that you are weak. You should not be confident. This church betrayed you. They don't want you. They don't take you seriously. You're in pain. Your God is letting you suffer. Where did that vision get you 14 years ago? Nowhere. Ignore it. Concentrate on your pain. Concentrate on the pain that you're in. And so Paul endures these hardships, which are very, very hard on every level, to communicate how weak he is. But why would God allow this. Well, John Piper describes it this way. God thinks humility is more important than comfort. Humility is more important than freedom from pain. He will give us a mountaintop experience in paradise and then bring us through the anguish of soul, lest we think that we have risen above the need for total reliance on his grace. 
So his purpose is our humility and lowliness and reliance on him. And so isn't it interesting that what Satan is trying to communicate to Paul is, be humble. You need to be humbled. And yet God's message is, Paul, be humble. They both have the same message for Paul. Paul, be humble. However, the difference is God desires that humility to come close to him. God wants Paul to come close. So Satan is trying to create a distance between them. And so the message of the thorn is ultimately humility. That, that is the point of that. But there's a difference between what Satan wanted and what God wanted. Satan wants to communicate to Paul, you are weak, be humbled and quit. Quit. Like, be humbled and walk away, Paul. And yet God says, Paul, be humble. You are weak. Come to me. I want to be your strength. I want to be your strength, Paul. Please realize how weak you are so that I can be your strength. And so it's interesting that God and Satan saw the same thing. Paul is being successful. Paul could boast. God and Satan both see this. Rock star of the faith. Affecting, changing the world, Paul is. And they both thought the same thing. This guy has to be humbled. Right? They both come to the, the same conclusion that he needs uh, humility. Now, one more quote for you. I know I have a lot of quotes this morning. Um, but Tim Keller, <clears throat> regarding this message, message of the thorn, says, Satan attaches a message to the thorn, and the thing that discourages you is not the thorn, but the message with it. Satan wants you to get one message from the thorn, but in verse 9, Paul is saying, when I pray to God, I saw God had his own message with it. You have to look at a problem that comes into your life, and you have to say, there's a message from Satan in this, and there's a message from God. My discouragement or my strengthening will depend on which message I listen to. So as Christians especially, how important is perspective for us? We are all going to go through a lot of stuff. We really are. But we, we do have to ask ourselves, I think Tim Keller is right, what is God trying to communicate? I think our default is, is to figure out what, what Satan is trying to communicate and that we're victims and that we're weak and hopeless. And so as Christians, we have to make that decision. What is God trying to say in this moment? Don't just ask, like, why, God? Why would you let this happen? Why, God? Why? Ask why, God? Why is this happening? And it's sort of the same question, but it's not, is it? And so I remember a point in my life where, oh man, I thought my life was as good as it can get. Doing very well at work. Um, I was in super great shape. I was playing hockey uh, three times a week. I mean, just, I was playing in a league that was basically double A. I mean, if I was any better, I could be playing like professional. And I was focusing a lot on that. I was hitting the gym every day. I mean, just completely about physical health. And I looked really good. I was like 100 pounds lighter. I was doing so good. But if I'm being honest, my spiritual life was suffering. I mean, if you're focusing on just trying to be a hockey player and work, you know, more than full-time, there's not much time for spiritual stuff. One Monday night, I tore my MCL playing hockey. 
And I thought my life was not over. I thought my life was ruined, though. And I was like, why, God? Why? I was doing so awesome. You saw me. I was doing so awesome. I was so happy. And it took, I'd say, a good week before then I started praying. Okay, why? Why, God? Why? What, what, what is it, you know, just like when I came to the faith, what is it that you want me to do? Because all my momentum's gone. Not to mention, I didn't mention we lived on the third floor at that time. So everything is going horrible. Um, I thought I was going to get fired from my job. I was delivering water. And so how am I going to deliver water if I can't walk, right? And so this amazing um, series of events, I don't get fired, and one of the owners goes out with me, and I drive because I have one leg that works. He does all my physical labor for me for months as the owner. We become best friends, which I'd never really had in my adult life, like a really, really great friend I could just talk to. He became my professional reference for seminary. Um, he was the first person besides, you know, my family who would come to see me preach. You know, I'd, I'd be going, like, nervously trying to learn how to preach at new churches, and I always got so much confidence because I'd look out and, and, and I would see him there. He was a great friend. Even hired my son to work with us. And then a couple years later, he got cancer. And I was able to be there for his last years of his life. I was able to be there with him. None of that would have happened without that thorn. It was something to slow me down, get me to stop boasting in myself. I wasn't saying I was in awe of myself, but I kind of was in a way. But I needed that. I wouldn't have stopped. I don't know if I'd be here this morning without that. And it blessed me in so many ways. I was able to bless so many others in so many ways because there was so much grace in what I thought was the absolute worst thing that could happen to me, that thorn that just completely enabled me from being able to do anything without pain. And it put me in a position to refocus on God. When you can't move, you read your Bible more. So... Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I had to lean on God for strength. Instead of whatever ridiculous two-a-day, three-a-day workouts that I was doing, God had to be my strength. And so we see in that, in, in the origin of the thorn, we see God's sovereignty, and we see in the message that we have humility, that, the, that it's supposed to, to represent humility. Now what I want to look at is the purpose, the purpose of the thorn in verse 8, we read, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, grace in suffering. Grace in suffering. Kind of sounds like last week, right? Like glory and ugliness. Grace in, in suffering. But that's what we find here. So with Paul here, he's showing his humanity He's frustrated. He wants to be strong. He wants to lean into his credentials and say, yeah, I'm a big deal. Yeah, I, I have the credentials. In a way, he could say, I'm in awe of myself. He could. And I, and I know, like, well, we would say, well, Paul doesn't talk like that. Paul would never say he's in awe of himself. 
I understand that, but then Paul is the one who says the thorn is meant for him to not become conceited. So God saw on the horizon something that we can't even conceive of of Paul, right? That he was going to start believing the hype. And so what we see here then is in the thorn, we have this grace, this grace to Paul. This is great because Paul is not strong enough to take on all of ministry, to turn the world upside down, to face the super apostles, to, to, to face all the beatings, all the heartbreak, ministry. And by God's grace, he doesn't have to. God puts him in a position where he, he doesn't even have to think like that. He could focus on God. By grace, God allows Paul to become weak so that Paul will come to him in prayer over and over and over. It's God who wants to be glorified in Paul's weakness. And God says his grace is sufficient. And so, yes, the purpose of the thorn is to show God's grace. The purpose of the thorn is to show God's grace. Now, I, bet, I don't know about all of us, but I think most of us can, especially if you're older here, you could probably think of something that you prayed for over and over and over, just like Paul did. And God said, no. And looking back, you know that no was the absolute best answer. The answer of no was grace. Maybe it was stopping you from making a decision that, that wasn't going to be good for you, that was going to lead you away from God instead of closer to him. Or from doing something foolish like Paul, who at this point in his ministry, it sounds like he's about to believe the hype. And he's going to be just like a lot of pastors we see today, who, who rise to the very top like almost celebrity pastors only to what? Fail. To fail, to be absolutely humbled and humiliated. And so the thorn was grace. It was to protect Paul, right? The pain protects Paul. It doesn't hurt him. It protects him and his ministry. And it pricks him and it points him to Jesus. Now, what I want to do in the last couple minutes is just quickly go over those three thorns and how we should take encouragement from this, take encouragement from being in the midst of a thorn. And so the origin of the thorn shows God's sovereignty over everything. This should give us hope and confidence. Um, nothing we are going to is, is happening without God's knowing it. We're not being guided by fate or chance or, or luck or anything like that. God is sovereign in everything. Because of God's sovereignty, we can have hope and confidence that when we pray for something, the best answer we can get from God is no. Because he knows what is best. He knows what is best for us, which is to know him. The message of the thorn, the message is humility so that we stay with God and don't stray from God. I mean, again, I think if you're older here, you maybe understand this. When has you been your best prayer time in your life? When has been your best prayer time? When things are going great and you're just praying, hey, everything is great. No. It's when things are going bad. It's when there's conflict and frustration and hurt and pain. Those are the most intense times of prayer. Those are the times where you get humbled and you actually full-on get on your knees and submit and implore God. 
And so that, that humility, that, that's a great message that we need, right? We need to be humbled in order to come to God. And maybe you're in that situation now where you are praying, praying, and praying that God w- would take something from you. But when you get to that point, if you've been praying about it for a while, and the answer has been clearly no, then you need to pray, God, show me. What are you trying to communicate to me? Why is this happening? What can I learn? How can I grow from this? How can I get closer to you through this? And the purpose, the purpose of the thorn is to show God's grace. And this this points us back to the cross, right? And so these thorns that we get, they point us to the thorns that Christ wore as a right, as his crown. And so how can something, anything in your life, know how bad it is if that something points you to the cross, if it points you to the thorns that Christ wore as a throne, how could that be anything except grace? How can it be anything except grace? By the grace of God, he's redeeming all of our suffering to make us godly to make us holy, to make us more Christ-like. It's, it's crazy to think about. He wants to be intimate with us, and he wants us to trust him. And we come out with all the benefits. Because yeah, he's a great father. By God's grace, we don't have to be strong enough. He allows us to be weak so that he can be our strength. And so that we don't have to be in awe of ourselves, but you'd be in awe of Jesus. Right? That's the goal. Every time we meet, that's my prayer. Every time we meet, leave here in awe of Jesus. Leave here in awe of Jesus. Mark McGuire was in awe of himself. Right? McGuire was in awe of, awe of himself. And as many of you know, well, it turns out that he was on um, illegal drugs. So, you know, you know, his boasting was arrogant lies and foolishness. Right? He knew that he was lying. And yet he would still boast by holding his bat out and pointing to how great he was. Points to himself. Now Paul, Paul is in awe of God. Paul Paul is in awe of God. And he didn't boast about himself. They were begging him to boast about himself. And he said, I'm not going to. And if I am going to boast, I'm going to boast about how weak I am. And if I'm going to boast, what I'm going to point to is God. I'm going to point to God's strength. That's what I'm going to point to. That's what I'm going to boast in. So church, let us boast in our weakness and let us live lives that points to the strength that we have in God. Let me pray for us. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week and we hope we'll see you soon.